0: Hello? There. Did you guys hear all that? Okay. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for allowing us to come together, gathered before, um, before this scripture this morning, God. I pray that you work in and through me as your mouthpiece, Lord God. I pray that we might meet you in this text. I pray that it might encourage us and challenge us that the Holy Spirit does a work in us, whatever needs to be done, Father, that we can see you clearer and better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I was, I don't know how you guys feel about Christmas movies, but we watched some Christmas movies this time of year, and earlier this week we were watching a movie called The Santa Claus*. I don't know if you're familiar with this movie, but it stars Tim Allen. And through a series of events and circumstances, Tim Allen actually finds himself on the porch, the patio rather, really, of a, of a room, and he's overlooking the North Pole and he's looking out amongst all the stuff that's taking place, all this wonder that's going on in the North Pole, and he turns to the elf next to him and he says, I see it, but I still don't believe it. And the elf's response to him was, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. And while I know that that's just Hollywood's adaptation on a, on a fairy tale uh, meant purely for entertainment, that scene really brought me to this verse. I, I connected immediately that scene and those, the things that were said in this verse, and it made me think of my own walk, really, with Jesus Christ. And so with that being said, with that in mind, let's turn to our text. And in the first verse, we're actually switching scenes. We're so used to being by the sea uh, we can smell the wind and the and, the, and hear the, the water, but this time we're inland. We're about twenty miles southwest from Capernaum, and we're in Jesus's hometown of Nazareth. Nazareth really isn't anything to speak of. It's a small town. So they probably they estimate between somewhere between two hundred and five hundred people during Jesus' time. This is where Jesus grew up as a boy. This is, this is where his family lived. This is where his, where his roots were. It was his hometown. And you know, 200 to 500 people, that means that everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody intimately. They know every little thing about everything that's going on. If you grew up in a small town, you kind of understand that. And that's what's going on here. And and of course, he came back, and as he came back, all of his disciples were following him. So he had all these disciples following him, and, and that would have registered, that would have been a common thing for a rabbi. A rabbi would have walked around, and he would have entered into a town, and behind him would have been his disciples. And so they see this, and naturally now he is asked to speak at their synagogue. And as he's speaking at the synagogue, they become astonished. This is a thing that happens over and over and over, isn't it? Every time we see Jesus preaching and teaching in the synagogues and even on the hillside and in his boat out, one of the things that's re- that constant throughout is everybody's astonished. And remember, it's because he preached with an assurity and an authority that they have never heard before. Rabbis typically would quote other rabbis. They'd be a little bit unsure in what they were saying. Jesus, you no, know, brought certainty and conviction and even took the scriptures that pointed to a Messiah and would say things like, He is among you. Never witnessed anything like this. And it causes people to ask questions. And his hometown is no different. They begin to ask questions. Where did this man get these things? They're questioning the wisdom that he's able to, the authority and the wisdom that he's preaching with and teaching with. And they say, how did he do these mighty works with his hands? Remember, they hadn't witnessed necessarily at this point any mighty works from his hands, but they knew all about it. They had heard all about what has been going on in Capernaum. We know that because, remember, his family had gone up to Capernaum to get him. Because they thought he was nuts. There was the buzz of the town. That Jesus, you remember that Jesus? The carpenter's kid? Well, there's all these claims going on about him. And they went up to get him. And so they're wondering, Man, how, how is this possible? Where, where do you get this wisdom? We know him. He's the carpenter. This is the carpenter. In other words, he's a builder. He's a blue-collar tradesman. We know his family, we know his dad. In fact, there's stuff in my in my in my place where I live that he built. He didn't, he didn't study among rabbis. We lost him his whole life. We never saw him studying under rabbis. We never seen him gaining this wisdom from any worldly avenue. Where does he get it from? Is this not the son of Mary? Notice how they didn't say the son of Joseph. This was an insult. This was kind of a slight going. This, this, not only is Jesus, he's illegitimate. We were all there. They got married and then he was there. We, we know, we know what went on. This was we a buzz throughout. This is, this is not custom. Even if Joseph, and I read some commentaries, maybe Joseph was dead at this time. Certainly could be that he is dead at this time, but it still would have been customary to label him from his father, not from his mother. And so they're saying, man, we know this, we know even his flaws. We know his brothers, we can name every brother that he has, and in fact his sisters are right there. We we know this Jesus. Who is he to tell us anything? He's no better than us. He's just like us. He has no authority to come to our synagogue and preach to us. And they took offense. They were offended at him. And Jesus tells him, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. It's a well-known proverb. They probably would have been familiar with it. And certainly he's liking himself to the, to the prophets of Old Testament, where they were often not listened to and shunned and often ridiculed almost to the point of execution. And basically what he's saying here, I I can explain this using another old proverb, which is familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. He said that's what's going on here. And he could do no mighty works there. Now, it, it isn't that their disbelief or their... They're being offended at him made it so that he had lost power to do mighty works. This is sovereign God. He can do whatever he wants. He was fully capable of doing mighty works here. But we have to remember that that God it doesn't... He, the reason why Jesus is doing mighty works is to is to point to his divinity and his salvation. And so he doesn't do these things where faith isn't present. Because remember... Just like the little elf told Tim Allen, seeing isn't believing. It's not until we believe that we see. We often wonder, man, if God could just come through. I'm telling you right now, I guarantee if God somehow took the, 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 the clouds in the air and rearranged it to say clearly, in English, Jesus Christ is my son, king of kings. The next day there'd be all kinds of newspaper reports of scientists being quoted on how, you know, the air, the way the air hit the, off the Hudson and came, there'd be some sort of explanation. It would be explained away. It, it isn't that seeing does not create. There is witness and testimony among everywhere we go. That's why Paul says that you you're without you can't be blamed. You are, you are held accountable. Everywhere you go is the testimony of God. The fact that you and I breathe, that we exist, that we are created the way we are, the emotions that we have, and yet still they say we came from a Big Bang and monkeys. There's this blindness that's going on here. And so he's not going to do mighty works. And the other reason is because nobody brought him their sick. They were offended by him. They didn't think that he had real healing power. They didn't think that he was their savior. So they didn't bring him any of their sick, except for a few people who had faith. And we know that's a huge contrast to what he's been doing, which is constantly healing by Capernaum and the other places. that He goes constant healing. He was only able to do a few small things. So this familiarity breeds contempt is the main idea of the passage. And I think the question is, what does that have to do with us? I think we have a tendency sometimes to read into these things and look at the people in his hometown and kind of just shake our head at them. But I think really we need to take a step back and understand that we actually probably relate and identify to these people more than we realize. That the idea that familiarity breeds contempt is 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 a, a, a warning to us. It's a warning to all of us. They, they, they were familiar with this Jesus, but they were familiar with Jesus the man. They they had the wrong paradigm. They they, they were looking at it through only natural eyes. Not supernatural, but natural eyes, human eyes. Their own understanding, their own limited human experience. They weren't able to see past that or beyond that. It's no different than Tim Allen. He had this understanding of what truth and false was, and to him that was overclouding what even he was seeing. So while these people in this town seen these miracles, and they, they heard about these miracles, and they witnessed him preach this way, they didn't believe it. They knew him only as a carpenter. One of them. They did not see that him as the Son of God. And so they took offense. They took offense to him. This happens all the time, doesn't it? You know, I think sometimes we have to realize that when I say Jesus and I'm talking to somebody who is not a believer, I sometimes really need to define what I mean by Jesus. Because when I say Jesus, their idea or thought of who I'm talking about is probably very different than what I'm talking about. I had this experience this week. This past week I spent one of the afternoons. I figured uh, I would go down to uptown Kingston here and I took some of our flyers for the Christmas Eve service and I walked around town introducing myself and inviting people to our Christmas Eve service. And it was funny how that went, because as I approached people, uh, they could see that I had something in my hand that I was going to give them, and they would almost begin to reach out to take whatever it was. But then as I said that I was pastor, <laughs> if I said the word pastor, or church, or Jesus, or Christmas Eve service, all of a sudden, I was coughing COVID all over them. <laughs> right? They woof. They wanted nothing to do with what I was handing out and behind that what is what is behind that it's an incredible thing to sit there and think that like they're rejecting him they're taking offense to him and that simple simple invitation but what is it that they think that they know about jesus that just isn't true or not the whole picture some of that is on us And I don't mean us. I don't mean necessarily the people in this room, although very well could be at times on the people in this room, but I mean the church. Some of that is on the church, the capital C, the universal church. Who knows what they could have thought when I was handing them a piece of paper. They could have thought something like, you just want my money. You just want my money. And that probably is based on a pre-existing experience they had with a church who really did just want their money, or maybe says that you do just want to control me. You just want to control me. And maybe they grew up or had experience with a very legalistic church who did nothing but wag their finger at them. Whatever it is, it came from a group of people, a misrepresentation of Christ, of people who had become so familiar with Jesus that they no longer could experience Jesus. This idea that he could do no mighty work there. He could do no money work there. Because they were so from, they were so from, we become so familiar with God. They didn't bring them, they're sick. Listen, we can become so familiar with the stories of Jesus. Even as we sang these songs, I mean, these things, we should be broken when we sing these songs. I mean, we really believe that Jesus Christ of Christmas is true, and that really took place. If we were to hold on to that in all of its glory, we should be weeping trying to sing these songs, barely able to get them out of our mouth. But there's a familiarity to it all. The means of grace, as we come and take communion, we've been doing it for years, there's just a familiarity to it all. Or prayer. Do we really go to prayer in belief and expectance and awe? Do we really go to prayer to the God of the universe? I don't know. Not when I hear things like, well, I guess all we can do is pray. I guess all we can do is pray is a far cry from having full on trust and absolute belief in God. And it causes us to not bring our fears to Him, our hurts, our sicknesses to Him. We either don't bring these things to Him at all, or we don't bring it to, a, to Him with a hope and a wonder and an anticipation. We do so out of familiarity or obligation. It's just what I've always done. Well, I'm a Christian. I should pray. And He does no mighty work. He does no mighty work in the absence of faith. I love James 1. But let him ask in faith and no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If we don't see a mighty work in our own lives, the world won't see a mighty work, and and I don't mean what happened to us, our grace story, and that's that's all our saving grace. And at one point, God saved me, and I, that's awesome. But the gospel runs deeper than just getting out of hell. It is it is a way of life. It is allowed us to walk in freedom and in truth, in Jesus' truth, and the claims that He makes. They're great. They're massive claims. Massive claims that, that in you has everything you need to live. Do you believe that? And you have everything that you need to live. To walk in that. And to have experiences right now, of Jesus Christ right now. Of mighty works being done right now in our lives. based on the interaction I had with the uptown Kingston people, in order for the Kingston Lions Church to be revitalized, it is going to take a mighty work. It won't be the work of my natural hands or my natural ability or your natural hands or natural ability. It'll take a mighty work. It will take a supernatural work and it requires a faith and a trust and a belief beyond human understanding. A faith and a trust like we saw last week or a couple weeks ago where it makes people laugh that we're so foolish. We trust God so much. We believe in Him so much that we're actually foolish. He marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. Jesus Christ, throughout the Gospels, never marvels at somebody's Scripture knowledge. He never marvels at how much money they make, how big their house is, their political position, or even their religious position. He doesn't marvel at any of that. He does, however, constantly marvel at two things while he walks this earth. In that ministry, he marvels at two things. He marvels at people's unbelief, and he marvels at their belief. And Jesus has this homecoming, right? And we see how it went for him. Listen, there's going to be a day when each and every one of us is going to have a homecoming. We're all going to enter into the kingdom of God. We're going to have this homecoming. And I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus to marvel that I made it because of my lack of belief. I don't want him to say, well, you made it enough for salvation, but but man, did you miss out on the mighty works I could have done in your life, in and through you, because of your unbelief. I don't want that. I want him to see me come home and embrace me and tell me those famous words, well done, my faithful servant. And then then grasp me and look me in the eye and marvel, marvel at my belief. To marvel at my belief, to be a conduit, to be open, to, to be a spirit that mighty works might take place. Through me and through this church. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray for the world's offense to you, God. We pray for their familiarity with what they think that they know about Christianity, about you, about following you. We pray that you use and sanction this church to show them differently. Father, we, we pray that the Holy Spirit do a work in and throughout man who is just obsessed with seeing things in a natural way. God, to bring their hearts to a position of being open to the Spirit that is us among us all, Father God. And use this church, Father God. God, I pray that that our faith can be alive and well and now, that our belief grows stronger with each day, that we take all things to you in hope and anticipation to see your mighty works. Because it is by your mighty works we were saved and it is by your mighty works. We remain saved and it is by your mighty works that we walk. It is not by sight that we walk, but by faith. Faith in you and faith in the Son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.